This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The year was 1982. The date was October 4th. I have it in front of me. Public Law 97-280, a joint resolution of the 97th Congress, stating, Congress declares Bible the Word of God. Now, it's not that Congress needed to declare Bible the Word of God, but they did. But why did Congress find it necessary to declare the Bible the Word of God when the very nation called the United Nation, the United States of America was founded on the Bible. It was the Bible itself that laid the foundation for even the motivation for establishing this country back in 1607 and then 1620 and 1630. Why then did Congress have to declare the Bible the Word of God in 1983? Well, it's because they noticed that the Bible was falling on very hard times in the land of the free, increasingly becoming only the home of the brave. It didn't start in our time. It started in 1982. Wow. So what happened? Well, the Bible was declared the word of God by Congress because Americans were increasingly considering that the Bible really didn't matter much anymore. It wasn't too long after that, maybe 20 years after that, that the Bible had to be relegated to a museum in our nation's capital. Why has the Bible been relegated to a museum, however great that museum may be? Why was it necessary to relegate the Bible to a museum when God wanted it written on the tablets of our hearts? Something has happened dramatically in America and all over the world, quite frankly. And so today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about the book that conquered time. The book that conquered time. It's interesting that the famous, uh, what should we say, George Gallup. George Gallup, he was the guy who uh, did all those polls, you know, the most famous pollster in America. He said in 1995, down there in Dallas, Texas, the buckle of the Bible belt, he said this, Americans still revere the Bible, they just don't read it. Hmm. Well, if we don't read the Bible, then what's it for? Is it to be a memento on our shelves? Is it something that we profess to believe and revere, but don't really know what it says and don't much care anymore? Is it really the book that conquered time? And what about our time? Today on Viewpoint, we have a very special guest joining us. I, I'm so blessed, so privileged to have uh, this gentleman join us here on Viewpoint today. He has never been on this program before, in spite of the fact we've had about 3,500 national guests on this program over the past 28 and a half years. His name is Rob Suggs, and he's given us, I think, one of the very best books on 
the history of the Bible, how things came to be, what they are, and when you get a hold of this book, which I'm sure you will, you are not going to want to put it down. It's not just information, friends. It's something that will grip your mind and heart to see how God has worked over time to bring about a message that would give us hope for the future, notwithstanding all the trials and tribulations that we're facing today. So, Rob Suggs, it's good to have you here on the program. Welcome aboard. It's great to be here. I was trying really hard not to shout amen during your opening there or to do anything disruptive. Um, I guess on the radio there's no aisle for me to come down to recommit my life, but that was some great stuff. Well, there there really is. You don't have to come down the aisle. Uh, in fact, you don't find that in the Bible, anybody coming down the aisle. What you find is people uh, coming under conviction in their hearts and uh, declaring their repentance and declaring their uh, submission to the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord. Isn't that what he's after? Absolutely. Yeah. So... Uh, People still revere, I'm looking at USA Today, an article that came out a few years ago, Bible readers still prefer the King James Version, including yours truly. Of the 89% of U.S. adults who own at least one Bible, 67% own a King James as it marked its 400th anniversary in 2011. Believe it or not, I have several pages of the original on our gallery wall. It's amazing. Wow. It's amazing. Rob, yeah. why would people prefer the uh, King James Version today? I am really glad you asked that one. That's one of my favorite subjects probably in this book is uh, the idea of the Bible finally getting into the English language. But it was in the English language before King James. People don't realize that. Yep. There were other Bibles around. One, in the, one of them was known as the Bishop's Bible. Mm. And if you compare it, which we do in the book, it's just really flat. You know, it's, that's the Word of God, but it, it just doesn't have that poetry. Uh-huh. The King James Version was written during Shakespeare's time, mm-hmm. and it has that poetry to it. And that was conscious on the part of the translators. They wanted the Word to sing. They wanted it to be read aloud and to just to sing. and to it, So that when you read, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and you listen to that being read together in church, there's a rhythm to it and a beauty mm-hmm. to it. It's memorable. And I think people, a generation, many generations of people memorized it by the King James. I did. And it's just not the same when, when you take it and you put it into everyday English. It it loses a little of that oomph. Well, <laughs> so it I does. People see that. People sense that. Yes, they do. In fact, my wife sensed that back in the uh, late 1970s. My wife said, Chuck, don't you think we ought to uh, be taking a look at another version, maybe the Living Bible? That was very popular then. Uh, Tyndall came out with it, and churches began to pick it up, the new, the Living Bible. And uh, it was a paraphrase, but people thought it was so great and so modern. And so I, I said, okay, sweetheart, let's do this. I'm going to uh, have you sit in the room, turn your back to me. It's the only time I asked my wife to turn her back to me. And I said, I'm going to read from four different translations or versions or whatever. And I want you, from several different passages. And I want you to tell me which one you prefer. 
And I did. Every time she chose the King James Version. Every time. We had the New International Version. In fact, one of her professors actually was part of the translating team for the New International Version. She still chose the King James Version. When she didn't know what it was. And you've described why. Because there's a there's a song to it. There's a ring to it. And you can memorize when you can't memorize so many other translations very easily. Right. It and just you know, doesn't stick. We'll talk about more of this when we get back right. from the break. Because, okay. uh, Rob, hang in there, friends. I'm going to make his book available to you. You're not going to want to miss this book. It's not about the King James Bible. It's about the Bible and how it came to be and why it's so timeless. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Harvard president, 1775, made this statement. We're talking about Harvard University, friends. The same Harvard University that has turned into a monumental uh, edifice of wokeness and anti-God. Here's what the president of Harvard University said in 1775, the year before the Declaration of Independence. He said, we have rebelled against God. We have lost the true spirit of Christianity. That was just six weeks after the battles of Lexington and Concord, the shot heard around the world. Harvard President Samuel Langdon spoke to the Massachusetts Provincial Congress. Unbelievable. How did he know that? Because he knew that the Bible had been losing its authority by 1775 in America. What would he say today? What do you think he would say today, my friends? What would he say about your view of the Bible today? Our special guest today on Viewpoint, Rob Suggs, with his book, his book, The Book That Conquered Time, How the Bible Came to Be. I want to make it available to you uh, now, otherwise I'm going to forget, and I don't want to forget because it's so great. $19 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. You don't want to miss this book. You just don't want to miss it. It's going to tie together the whole history of the Bible in ways, in one of the most beautiful ways that you can possibly imagine. It's like reading a novel, but it's not a novel. It's true. From beginning to end. So, 
Americans have a positive view of the Bible. Many say the Christian scriptures are filled with moral lessons for today. However, more than half of Americans have read little or none of the Bible, according to LifeWay Research. So we're back, Rob, to you uh, concerning uh, our view of the King James Version. It's not that we're trying to sell the King James Version. We're just trying to help people understand why it's still one of the best-selling translations out there today. You had some further comments. Yes, I was, you know, even just as you and I were talking, it occurred to me that a lot of people talk about the these and thous. And, mm-hmm. But when you read a verse from the King James, it says, What doth God require of man but to do justly, to love mercy? Etc. And it has, does have those words. We know what they mean, but they're not the words we use. It makes it stand apart as the Word of God. Absolutely. It's kind of a reminder to us that this isn't, you know, people say, well, I want the Bible to sound like today's newspaper. Well, I don't. I want it to sound, I want it to, you know, like you, you have that great vocalist in your choir. You want to hear that person sing it. Yeah. You want to have the ring of authority, don't you? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't Absolutely. want to have the ring of uh, some magazine article somewhere. You want to have the ring of authority. And, you know, uh, people will say, well, those these and thous, they're just too distracting. They don't distract me at all. When my wife and I, every single morning, we're over our cup of coffee, we're reading the scriptures. She reads the these and thous, and I read you and yours. Always. It's no problem. It's you and yours. That's that. It's very easy to say that, and it doesn't change anything. So the these and thous, that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse. And we're always looking for an excuse to avoid the authority of Scripture, I think. I think that's absolutely true. Um, This is a book that has authority over our lives. It's not just another book. It's not just an ancient book. It's a library of books that has been preserved over time, over thousands of years, designed by God from the very beginning to be our manual to go through life. It includes the beginning of the of creation. It includes the end of, of history mm-hmm. and everything in between. And it's, it's supposed to be special. And that's why we need to keep it special. Absolutely. But it's not so special that we shouldn't be wearing out its pages as we go through it every day, should we? I mean, is it something Wearing to be put it, up on a frame somewhere and idolized? So, all right, it, yeah, right. It's to be read and to consumed every day, to be poured into our lives. Absolutely. Okay. So we want to take a look at uh, the fullness of your book here, the book that conquered time. And indeed it did, because you've taken us through time uh it's it's almost like you have brought history alive uh, through your book and if we really understood how god has worked uh in and through uh human beings and over time to bring the life-giving scriptures to us maybe just maybe we might take it a little more seriously so here's some here's some facts A hundred million Bibles are printed annually. There are 140% more Bibles in print today than there were in 1975. 38 Bibles are sold every minute. Nearly 55 Bibles are sold daily. 
And there are more than 80,000 versions of the Bible in the world that sell at least one unit annually. Sounds like the Bible is pretty significant in the minds of many people, but I wonder about their hearts. What do you think, Rob? It's a good point. You know, we're often given statistics that there's such and such number of Christians in the world, and I always have that same question. You know, how many of them are professing Christians, and how many of them are, are you know, people who are used, being used by God every day to bring about the kingdom? And that's the way it is. We, I think we made this point in that we, we sell a lot of Bibles, and that's great. That was kind of eye-opening to me, mm-hmm. that what we think of as the bestseller list, which is, you know, to sell a certain number of books per month, the Bible just dwarfs it over and over and over and over. Decade after decade, the Bible sells more copies. But how many people are actually reading those Bibles? Well, Christian that women are reading more romance novels than they are the Bible. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, it's the greatest, it's the most selling uh, genre of of literature today, even among Christian publishing for women. Yeah, it is. true. So <laughs> you would take the, the typical American woman has a copy of the Bible that was bought at some point, but she has, say, on her bookshelves, 35 romance novels. So if you counted all those up, they would you would begin to see where the reading was really going on. Mm. But the Bible is, as one thing, as one book, you know, beats everything else. But again, it comes down to whether it's really being read, which, which are the books on the shelves where you can, you can tell the book has been beaten up and has been, you know, carried on the subway and carried to the bus stop and read, which one is just sitting. And there was a gift from some, from uncle Harry sitting on the shelf. Well, and that's the Bible, usually. Rob, did you know that there's no place in the Bible that tells us to read it? Did that's you know that? Interesting, isn't it? No place in the Bible that tells us to read it. I wonder why that is. Well, I think the reason is because God isn't interested in whether we read it or not. He's interested in whether we believe it or not. In other words, it's a matter of the heart. Not a matter of the head. Yeah. It's a matter of the heart. So... For years, when I was a teenager, you know, my father was a pastor in our church. We would uh, read the Bible through in a year, three chapters a day, five on Sunday, and you could get through in a year. Well, I'll tell you, it was so boring to me. And on Sundays, oh, my goodness, I'd read two or three chapters, and I was asleep. And I couldn't remember what I had read before that, and I began to discover that just reading the Bible wasn't what God was after after all. So I asked him, I said, Lord, what do I do? And so I began to take a different approach, and that is to read looking for that which God would say to me today from his word. And then I took a red pen, a sharp red pen, and a yellow highlighter, and I had developed a system of highlighting and marking those things that God was saying to me, either uh, as a command or as a warning or whatever. And over these many years, since I was, uh, well, since about 20-something, uh, I have developed a my own cross-reference system in my Bible. Oh, that's beautiful. Right. Yeah, and 
the Bible came alive more and more and more. It's never boring to me anymore. Never boring. I wonder you know, why people are so bored. Yeah, I, I don't get it. it. It does. I think you hit on it. It has to do with how it's read. Mm. And um, I, I teach the, the Bible every Sunday morning. And uh-huh. I watch how people respond because a lot of them come in and they haven't read the lesson. You know, they haven't studied it in advance. And they look at it and they kind of get a first reaction. And, you know, and I'll say, doesn't this verse astound you? And they'll kind of look at it and. And they, what we need to do is teach people how to read the Bible. This is what always amazes me. You know, getting up there in years, I've taught a lot of the key passages many, many, many times, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you have. And every single time, it's like it's, I'm teaching it for the first time. Now, I could take any other book. I have a lot of, I was an English major. I have a lot of books that I love other than the Bible. I could take a book by Charles Dickens, you know, my favorite author mm-hmm. outside of the Bible. And I could teach it once, and the next time I taught it, it would be the same thing. It wouldn't yep. be any different. Right. And I don't really have any desire to reread any Charles Dickens. But with the Bible, you can teach the the prodigal son over and over and over, and there's something new in it every time you teach it. I think every the problem. I think Rob, the problem is that we teach it as an information book. Yes, it's not yes. about oh, information. Yeah. It's about yeah. transformation. And by the way, that's what differs. This program is not about information. Now we do we have vast amounts of information that spill off the uh, the airwaves here, but it's all for the purpose of transformation. God never commanded us to be informed. Did you know that? He told yeah, us to be right. transformed and that by the renewing of our minds that you and I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what which it's comes for. back to your point. You're right. Which comes back to your point about knowing how to read the scripture, mm-hmm. how to open yourselves up to it. People say, well, I don't know how to hear God's voice. And the best way is through scripture, I believe. Yes. Because he speaks so directly through it. Well, you know, he sure time. does. And, you know, the psalmist, uh, back back to my reading the Bible through it a year, when I would get to Psalm 119, I, I just hated it because it was the longest book in the Bible. <laughs> 176 verses. And I was supposed to read all of that, plus another two chapters. And I wasn't reading for all it was worth. I was reading just to get through it, to say I read the Bible through. So now, Psalm 119 has become one of my favorite books of all the Bible. When David, when the psalmist cries out, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. You have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. And all of those wonderful, wonderful words, he encourages my heart. And, oh, I cry with him, oh, how I love your law, your word. It is my meditation day and night. In other words, I built it into my life one portion at a time by meditating on it. Did you know that that's what God tells us to do? He tells us to meditate on it, not to read it. Absolutely. And we've lost a lot of those that those things, haven't we? Absolutely. We, just, we don't have time to meditate on anything. Well, you know, We're that's not all he says. If you read Psalm 119, you'll find he has two little words that go side by side repeatedly. Meditate and delight. Meditate and delight. Meditate and delight. In other words, as we meditate... It's supposed to increase our delight, and then we 
more and more delight in his word. I believe that's one of the main reasons why God looked at David and said, you're a man after my own heart. That, absolutely. Another thing that happens when you when we meditate and delight, and it sticks in there. Um, I memorized a lot of scripture when I was in about sixth or seventh grade because I had a wonderful old 85-year-old Sunday school teacher that just insisted we do it. She put a chart up, and at the time, I was just trying to win a contest. Uh-huh. I've still got all those verses in my heart. Yes. And when you do, you had it in your heart. You've given God a button to push. Well, that's and what David said. My word have I hit in my heart yeah. that I might not sin against you. There you go. That's right. That's exactly God what happened. that button. The verse comes out at just the right time. The other thing my wife sings in all the All right, choir, we're going to have to and, pick up that after okay. this break, Rob. Hang in there, my friend. Viewpoint determines destiny, friends. Our viewpoint concerning the Bible is determining our destiny. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Years ago, about 30 years ago, I found an absolutely gorgeous uh, framed uh, quotation of the scriptures, Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You know what? After all those years, we just had it reframed because I found an even better frame that even more amplifies and brings focus to that. And we hung it back again right there on our wall. And I want it to be resident in our minds and our hearts how important and enduring the Word of God is. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Yeah, but it's supposed to stand in our lives not on our bookshelves. Our special guest today, Rob Suggs, with his his book, The Book That Conquered Time, How the Bible Came to Be. And we haven't even focused on that because it's the Bible that's coming alive. And he wants you to know how important it was and how it actually came to be. $19. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check, again, at $5 for postage and handling. Now, the written word stands as one of the most revolutionary of human inventions, you say, Rob. Even Voltaire, who hated Christians, called it the painting of the voice. 
What a way to express writing. Beautiful. Picture is yeah. worth a thousand words. Well, right? it sure is. And, and when you can write in a picture form like that, it's just beautiful. So you were going to tell this story. Pictures. Take us back in your story to four years of age. Okay. Um, this is one of those stories that I, most of us remember very few things when we're four years old. Uh-huh. And just a few things stand out in my mind, but this one always has. And for years I've meditated. Why do I remember this so clearly? Four years old, getting ready to go to church, sitting in the living room. My mom was struggling with my older brother, trying to get him into his bow tie. She said, <laughs> Reed, Reed robbed his Sunday school lesson. You know, we had a little uh, children's Sunday school quarterly. Uh-huh. He opened it up and he read to me so that I heard for the first time the story of little Samuel um, at mm-hmm. the side of Eli, sleeping and hearing the voice of God in the night. Right. You know, that wonderful story. Exactly. Going three times to Eli. My dad read me the story, and I immediately jumped up and said, let me tell it back to you. And I told him the story. Now, I thought someone pointed this out to me not long ago. You know, you knew the three bears, and you knew all kinds of fairy tales. Right. And did you ever jump out of your seat and say, let me tell you the three bears? Never. But at the age of four, something grabbed me about that story. Uh-huh. About the wonderfulness of it, God's voice in the night, and there's it's just it's the word of God. Well, when and he I cried out, knew it at four years old. Exactly yeah. when he cried out, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel responded, "Here am I, Lord." Right. And three times right. that came, Samuel, Samuel. Do you know, Rob? I believe that the Holy Spirit has been calling an awful lot of people, including many of our listeners, with a still small voice like that, and we haven't heard it because we haven't been listening. That's that's the other thing about the story, is thinking back on, was this the first time I heard God's voice calling and thought it was something else? Uh-huh. You know, but just, hey, this is a great story, and I want to retell it. But over the years, I found that Wherever I was, I even had, um, I went to a, a private school. It wasn't a Christian school, but we actually had a Bible class, Old Testament. Oh. Everybody in the class but me hated it. <laughs> I loved it because I've been hearing these stories in Sunday school, and the teacher was putting them all together. Mm-hmm. One of the things we lack is a comprehensive view of how the Bible works. You know, what what the story, the Old Testament and a whole lot of different stories, it's one story. That has a lot of characters in it. It's a saga. If people realize that, they would be more excited about it and less intimidated by it. So all through my life, I have been drawn to the stories and the teaching of the Bible, and appropriate to whatever age I was. You know, straight through into teenage years, into adult years, and now I just read it with fascination, wanting to know what is God going to say to me today. Isn't that? what we should be doing every day. Lord, what do you have to say to me today? And if we don't get into the Word of God, we can't know the will of God. That's the primary source of the will of God. Now, he can speak to us, uh, but if we don't haven't built into our lives the Word of God, then he doesn't have the connecting links to speak into our voice so that we, into our hearts so that we know the will of God. I think that's that's part of the problem. We want we want to avoid dealing with the 
the word of God and somehow uh, get the will of God instead. And that's not that's not how it works. Absolutely true. Um, Gail and I, my wife and I, remind each other, but we both teach, and she'll be teaching a class, and I'll be teaching a class, but we have the same lesson. Uh-huh. And we have access to um, all these wonderful commentaries and the Internet, and so that we, if it's a parable of Jesus, we can look up what the background meaning of some of those things are. What was a a banquet like that Jesus spoke speaks of in his parable. Mm-hmm. Why did they talk so much about banquets? And you can get so caught up into those facts and background, and oh, they'll be interested to hear this, that you lose the transformation you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. So it becomes you know, informational and fascinating in its information, but never connects with the heart. It's another false god. You know, it's we think we're reading the Bible, and that we're uh, it, we are, but we have to remind ourselves every Sunday when we teach that it's transformational, it's for life change, yeah. and we need to hit the reader where they, it's hit the listener where they live. You know, that this is not about something several thousand years ago and about the banquets they had several thousand years ago. Right. This is about the banquet of your life. Mm-hmm. This is about God inviting you into the kingdom of God. That's what it's for. Jesus didn't care about the banquet. He cared about you, your soul, mm. where you are in his kingdom. Absolutely. Well, we say here and have said for many, many years, Rob, that uh, what God is after is not information, but transformation. The problem is most people would say, yeah, I, I guess I can agree with that, but how do I get to transformation? And pastors are having a very difficult time with this because information doesn't basically stir up any problems in your church. What begins to stir up problems from a pastor's perspective is when you apply the word and get specific in its application. That's where the rubber meets the road, but it's also where people start to get troubled in their spirits. That's where the Holy Spirit can begin to deal in our lives. So the difference or the link between information and transformation is application. That's what we do here on Viewpoint. And that's what makes it different. And I think if more pastors in this day and age were as interested in application, real application, as they are in information, we might just have a church that gains repentance and revival. What say you? Well, that's exactly right. Um, Sometimes we talk in church about uh, the church is very peaceful right now. Nobody's arguing. There's really no problems. We were having a discussion like that. And I wonder, is that a good thing? I mean, if nothing's really happening and no one's arguing and no one's upset about anything, is that, you know, is the Holy Spirit, if, if the devil's not attacking you, then that usually means he has you right where he wants you. Well, God so, wants us to be upset yeah. about things where we're yeah, out of line with the Word of God. Yeah. That's what conviction by the Holy Spirit is all about. That's a good thing. That's not condemnation. We've come under condemnation when we don't respond to the conviction. And, and we're supposed to be sharpening one another mm. along those same lines. And sharpening hurts sometimes. Well, it sure does. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you rub steel against somebody. You rub another person's opinion against yours, and it's, 
it's painful, but <laughs> this is the way the kingdom of God is built. It's built and it's, it's not comfortable. All right, Rob, the I, I've got to have you somehow uh, translate to our listeners what you have done in this book, because you and I have not really been talking about that. We've been talking about the importance of the Word of God and how to drive right. it deeply into our hearts. But your book tells us how the Word of God developed, and the way you have done it is, is in such a way, it almost reads like a novel. I, I just didn't want to put it down, quite frankly. I would have continued reading, except I knew I had to do a broadcast with you. <laughs> So what did you do here? Well, I wanted, you've gotten some idea, I guess, of how I look at the Bible. I do see it as a living thing mm-hmm. and not a dry, dusty book in, in leather. And I wanted to, if it's a living thing, it has a biography, just like people do. Biographies are some of my favorite books. Uh-huh. So I wanted to tell the story of the Bible as a living, God's living word from its beginning to its end, and we begin with language itself, when people began to speak and to record and to, to share stories as God revealed things to people, all the way through the kinds of writing they wrote on stone and they wrote on parchment, all the way up into when bound scrolls and bound books. Mm-hmm. But, but those are all just the vessel. What I wanted to show was that it's just amazing that thousands of years later we have the precise Word of God that he first gave to the prophets, and that he first gave to his servants, and that even through the Middle Ages, for example, you know, we stop in the Middle Ages, we stop in all the ages. Uh-huh. The Middle Ages, a thousand years of the church retreating into monasteries and um, the civilization utterly breaking down. Well, that's why the they Bible call them the Dark lost? Ages. Yeah, that's right. How is the Bible, the Word of God, not lost? How is Christianity not lost? All right, we'll talk about that when we get back. Okay. Friends, this is Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny. Our viewpoint concerning the Bible is determining destiny. It's not just an idle thing to say, well, the Bible's the Word of God. Does it sound like that in your life? Are you obeying it? We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Just change the word Sell Church to House Church, friends, and you'll be living in modern times on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about the Word of God. 
If we go back to the book of Malachi, which is at the end of the Tanakh, that is the Old Testament, we find God saying this, if I am a father, and he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, he said, if I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I be a master, then where is your respect? Then Jesus, saying, I and the Father are one, turned around and he said, Look, are you doing what I say? Why do you say unto me, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Do you understand what the the Father and Jesus were saying there? They were saying, Look, the Bible is not something to be revered in and of itself. It is to give you the word, the will, and the ways of God. Not to be a hearer only, but a doer. Jesus' brother said the same thing. Don't deceive yourself. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. You see, this is where application comes in. I just wanted to bring that uh, piece of applicational information here because... Quite frankly, that's where our problem is in America today, among American Christians. We say we believe the Word of God, but we just don't do it. Therefore, we don't really believe it. Not really, from God's viewpoint. Now, our special guest today, Rob Suggs, with his book, The Book That Conquered Time, How the Bible Came to Be. I want to share just a little bit of some of the words in one chapter called The Romans Arrive. And this gives a little bit of a feeling how uh, Rob writes here concerning the development of the Bible and how it came to be. When he died, the Emperor Augustus, the first Roman emperor, divided Judea into three smaller principalities, Judea, Galilee, and Batania, also known as Bashan. Well, Judea became the catch-all name for that region, And the Judeans themselves surely noticed that a new era had arrived. The Romans were far more present, more oppressive, and more demanding. In fact, a census was declared to organize the paying of taxes. As it is written, it came to pass in those days that there went a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And the Judeans were correct. A new era was indeed dawning upon the world. Yet no one would have expected it to involve a young couple trudging toward Bethlehem in the final days of this period on their way to be counted. What a great way to express what happened there, Uh, Rob. I just, it's just a good example of how you write in such a way to grab our attention so that the history has meaning that leads us inevitably to embrace what God was doing in such a glorious way through history. I just really appreciate what you've done here. Well, thank you. Um, it's humbling to write about this subject. <laughs> You're writing a book about the greatest book of all time. This really above book. We shouldn't even call it a book because it's, it's, it's the God. And what I hope is that my passion for the subject came across, that my love for the story came across. Um, 
all the way through this story, even beyond the biblical era, there are stories of people who were changed by the Bible, and uh, many of them had feet of clay, people like Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. And yet, he reads the Bible, and he reads it in the original, and he says, this is not what the the church I'm in has been teaching. They've completely missed the point. Yeah, you know, of, of salvation by grace. So he faith he is. he reads the yeah. book of Romans that the just shall live by faith, but what he didn't realize was that was written in the Old Testament first, Habakkuk two four, the just shall live by faith, and he he thought this is a new religious experience. He didn't understand that that's how God always expected us to live. Right. The just shall live by faith, and then he does exactly what you're talking about he was a doer rather than a hearer yeah and what but with every opportunity by the pope and everyone else to quiet him and his story is just an example of the dramatic there's an attempt to kidnap him you know there's right. he to hide in the castle he translates the bible into german for the first time and you know it's just one of the many things god is doing over thousands of years using people to keep his word alive. And the council tried and, to silence him. And he right. said, here I stand. What else can I do? Exactly. Yeah, here exactly. I stand. What else can I do? So, so we, we have to wonder. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Your turn. We have to wonder, who are the Luthers? Who are the Pauls of today? Who are the people that God is pulling out and saying, I'm going to use you to take the Bible into this new generation, because it is a different world. It's a darker world, and yet there never is a pit so deep that God is deeper still. Well, down it's there in the city spot. where you live, there is a, uh, some say it's the largest church in America, and the pastor of that church says that the Old Testament is irrelevant, has no value today, pay no attention to it. <clears throat> is that the kind of leadership that you're talking about that God is raising up? Or is that no. <laughs> a modern expression of Marcionism, which the early church had to deal with as a heresy? Yeah. Yes. There was there was an original interpreter, one of the early fathers, if probably not counted as one, but his name was Marcion, and he tried to just completely throw away the Old Testament and anything in the New Testament that really expressed the Old Testament, which is most of it. So he came down to you know Martin Luther and some of and I'm sorry, he came down to the Gospel of Luke and and a few of the, some of Paul's writings. And, you know, we, we can't do that. We can't be selective with Scripture. Mm. The whole thing survived because the whole thing is important. All right. The interesting thing is, uh, and this helps us with something that's going on and has been going on for about 30 years in this country. Uh, Marcion, as you say in your book, noted Paul's passion about salvation from grace rather than the law. So he concluded that the law was a relic of the past and the Old Testament was also a relic. There simply couldn't and shouldn't be any discussion, he said, of the law and the prophets or anything related to Jewish heritage, which was now deemed irrelevant. Here's what's happened. Over the past 30 years, we had something that somebody called the Grace Awakening. It was Marcionism in many respects because it elevated grace over doing the will of God. 
In other words, a reinterpretation of the word grace, that it was God's willingness to look overlook our sin so that we could continue to live as we wanted to live. We didn't have to live righteously because now that was interpreted as law or works. It seems that history is repeating itself. What say you? Well, Jesus says, I came not to abolish but to fulfill the law. Doesn't that settle the matter? Well, I mean, it should, but we're so adept. Should be thrown out. We, we're so adept at uh, warping and twisting because I think, it, unfortunately, we're more interested in analyzing the word than obeying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that we right? We want the easy grace because then you can say one. We want God's rubber stamp on whatever we want to do. It would be nice to have all the comfortable things about Christianity, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, period. Mm-hmm. And just and leave out the part about take up that cross and follow me. Isn't that so, fascinating? Yeah. He, his it's burden exactly. is light, but he didn't say there wasn't one. There is still a burden. It's a, it's a different kind of burden. On his way to Jerusalem carrying his burden. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is amazing. We have to be so careful about some of these things creeping into the church, some of these... Um, these ideas that, you know, the Bible predicted we would always be hearing. He said, you know, false teachers will pick up your ears yeah. with words that you want to hear, basically. In fact, uh, Peter warned about that. He said they'll even make merchandise of you in your churches. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. But the foresight. there's so much that we just cannot translate uh, from your book. And I regret that because... Uh, the, the history that you have written and uh, embraced here, not in a poetic fashion, but in a highly readable and uh, so that anybody can embrace it, embrace it and read it for all it's worth and will help us to understand how God in his mercy and yes, by his grace has prepared the Word of God, and protected it over so many, many, many centuries, in fact, millennia. It is astounding, isn't it? It really is. Um, you know, and I guess in, in closing, um, in, for, in terms of me, uh, mm-hmm. I would like to share the wisest words that were ever given to me by a pastor. Go, many go years for ago, it. As a teenager, he said... That if and you have to hang on for the whole quote. <laughs> We're he hanging. says that if you, we just had the Bible and nothing else, we would all become legalists. We would become you know people of the law with a lot of rules and, mm-hmm. and dryness. But if we only had the Holy Spirit living in us, we would become highly subjective. We'd be all over the place, nothing to hold us down, no doctrine, mm-hmm. and everybody would believe what they wanted. But when we have the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit, the objective and what you could call the subjective, though it's not, the Holy Spirit interpreting the Word of God and encouraging us to act, then we have the presence of God, and we have something that lasts for all of time. Well, isn't that why Jesus said that in these last days the true worshipers will worship me in both spirit and in truth? Uh, Perfect, perfect. Yeah. I, I, I quote that in every... Every prayer I have. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, there were three groups of people there in Jesus' day. There was the uh, Sadducees, 
Uh, we don't want to be Sadducees, so we, we reject the Sadducees. And uh, there were the Pharisees, and they weren't very fair, uh, you see. And so we, don't, we reject them because we say, well, they were, they were just legalists. So where does that leave us? Yeah, that's that's just just regular followers of Christ. Exactly. Thank you very much. From the heart, the heart of the matter is always the heart, and that's how God wants us to look at His Word. Embrace it from the heart. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But the Holy Spirit can know it. And so when He says the Word of God is alive and sharp. Sharper than even a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Wow. That's important. Maybe, Rob, that's the reason why a lot of people don't really want to get into it, because they don't want the thoughts of their hearts to be discerned. What do you think? It's frightening, isn't it? Especially if we're on the near edge of the second coming, don't you think? Absolutely. You think we're there? I don't mean the day and you the know, hour, but I mean the season. It, it sure feels that way. It, it sure, sure does. feels that way. Yeah. And we're aware that every generation has, has felt it, but boy, you, you wonder how much further things can go than the world we're living in. You know what we're you seeing know? now? All over the world, people are sensing something's very different about this season. Yeah. It's growing. I follow this intensely. It's growing. The news all over the world is growing. Friends, if there was ever a time, we need to somehow change our thinking concerning the Bible and truly love it for all it's worth in our lives. The book that conquered time, how the Bible came to be, you will not be disappointed getting this book. I'm confident of it. $19 will open it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, $19. We'll put it in your hands at $5 for postage and handling, and uh, you will not be disappointed. You're going to be edified. That's what it's about. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friend. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Remember, the other guy's not doing it. Is God speaking to you? God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.